From the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio, you're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Good morning, security gang. Welcome to another episode of the Cyber Hub Podcast. I hope you're buckled in and ready. It's Wednesday, February 1st, 2023. It's been quite a kickoff. Uh, this month. If you didn't catch yesterday's CISO Talk episode with Pat Benoit, the feedback has been phenomenal. Phenomenal. First episode, I'll be dropping new episodes every single week um, on Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. You can go check that out. Subscribe to that podcast. It's its own standalone podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. So find the CISO Talk podcast there. Cyberhubpodcast.com is where you can find all of our content in one place. You can check that out there as well as our YouTube channel at CyberHub Podcast. So you can go and tune in there. A lot. And for the show this morning, we've got a, a whole bunch of different vulnerabilities and exploits that we'll be talking about, as well as the evolution of the Abraham Accords that were signed in 2020, the, P, the historical peace agreement between Israel, the UAE, Bahrain, Morocco, and Sudan now takes a whole new step forward and it has to do a whole lot with cybersecurity. we'll be bringing that here at the end of the show so don't go anywhere good morning everyone tuning in let's get the show going but before we do that avishai reggie and everyone else tuning in on youtube by the way on youtube you can give us a super thanks um we'll be doing some really cool exclusive content by the way on youtube um, um next month so you'll want to tune into that with that being said coffee cup cheers y'all my double espresso and now we'll start with Microsoft releasing an emergency update to fix the XPS display issue. The Ataban update for the .NET framework and .NET versions to address the XPS display issue triggered by the December 2022 cumulative security update was issued yesterday. Users will experience null reference exceptions for images or glyphs displayed incorrectly when viewing XPS documents rendered using affected Windows Presentation Foundation-based application. The update addresses a known issue which might cause XPS documents, sorry, which utilize structural or semantic elements like table structures, storyboards, or hyperlinks to not display correctly in WPF-based readers. So the emergency update was released today, and um, it needs to be manually update. Um, Will not install automatically on the affected devices. So something you want to make sure to address with your teams uh, immediately. A new Shimmer exploit for Chromebooks unenrolls managed Chrome OS devices. This new exploit, which has been devised to unenroll enterprise or school-managed Chromebooks from admin control, enrolling Chrome OS devices makes it possible to enforce policies set by organizations through the Google Admin Council, including the features that are available to users. Each enrolled device uh, complies with the policies you set until you wipe it or deprovision it. That's where the exploit dubbed Shady hacking instrument makes machine enrollment retreat, a.k.a. Shimmer, comes in, allowing users to bypass these admin restrictions. The method is also a reference to Shim, a return merchandise authorization disk image used by service center technicians to reinstall OSs and run diagnostics and repair programs. The Google Science Shim, Shim image is a combination of existing Chrome OS factory bundle components, namely a release image, a toolkit, and the firmware, among others, that can be flashed to a USB drive. A Chromebook can be booted in developer mode and then the drive to invoke the recovery options. A shim image can either be universal or specific to a Chromebook board. 
The next step entails launching the recovery mode and plugging the USB stick. So there's a workaround for Shimmer. Uh, Google has yet to comment on this specific exploit. A firmware flaw could spell lights out for servers. Five vulnerabilities in the dashboard management controller software used by 15 major vendors could allow remote code execution if attackers gain network access. Now, I want to premise by saying attackers have to gain network access to take advantage of this. So something to just keep in mind. There's five vulnerabilities in the baseboard management controller firmware that's used. The vulnerabilities, two of which were disclosed this week by hardware security firm Eclipsium, occur in the system on chip computing platform that uses AMI Megarack baseboard management controller software for remote management. Again, these are massive data centers. These are uh, on-prem uh, uh, computing labs. Um, the flaws could impact servers that are produced by at least 15 vendors, including AMD, Asus, ARM, Dell, EMC, HP, Enterprise, Huawei, Lenovo, and NVIDIA. Eclipsium disclosed three of the vulnerabilities in December, but withheld information on two additional flaws until this week in order to allow AMI more time to mitigate the issues. Since the vulnerabilities can be exploited if the servers are connected directly to the internet, which is typically what a server's job is, the extent of the vulnerabilities is hard to measure. Not, not really. It's pretty easy to measure. Most servers are connected to the internet. Most servers have some sort of connection to the internet. That's typically why you get one is so that you can compute kind of need the internet nowadays to do that so the baseboard management controllers are typically a single chip or a system on chip installed on the motherboard it allows administrators to remotely manage servers with near total control so again we're going last week we talked about rmm and rdp and the issue that came out well here you go this is kind of more and it's targeting these data centers and for those who don't know what a data center is it's the cloud it really is the cloud and so this specific vulnerability has insane ramifications on any organization in the cloud because if someone's able to fish their way in and get network access again you got to have network access to be able to take advantage of this and this issue isn't remediated within those servers they can just do remote code execution on those and they can get admin privileges and so um you know th these are these are pretty significant and it's a conversation worthy of having with your cloud provider. Now, if you're with the big cloud providers like Microsoft or Azure or, or GCP, you know, the question is how much visibility do you have? And again, this kind of goes to the difference between being with like an AWS and an Azure to maybe like a smaller company, like, uh, you know, our friend Mark hopped over at DataBank or, or, or DigitalOcean or Rackspace where, where you're more likely to get that interaction and, and kind of those answers um, and not just the concorded message uh, with PR and communications over what they're going to tell customers on these specific things. So this is a issue we all want to be monitoring and keeping an eye out um, and definitely assessing the risk to your organization. Very, very worthy of having a look at. An exploit has been released for the critical VMware vRealize RCE vulnerability were reported on just a few days ago. The Horizon 3 security researchers have released a proof of concept code for the VMware vRealize log insight vulnerability chain that allows attackers to gain remote code execution on unpatched appliances. VMware patched four of those vulnerabilities last week, two being critical, and allows remote attackers to execute code on compromised devices. Both are attacked as critical severities with a CVSS base scores of 9 or 0.8 out of 10 and can be exploited as part of a low-complexity attack that doesn't require user interaction. Um, so now that there's a... If you haven't patched these 
We talked about this last week. I believe it was Wednesday of last week that we, we brought this up. It's critical now that you get these patched. The uh, proof of uh, concept exploit will be used by threat actors. They're reading the same news they're reading. Some of them even watch this very show. And so they're going to be looking at those and scanning for them right away. They're looking at the same thing I'm looking at. They've got RSS feed to bleeping computer too. They see it. They know it's coming. And they're out scanning for it. If you haven't patched it, you want to make sure you get that done and then run some sort of forensics to make sure you haven't been compromised in the meantime. Fisher's trick Microsoft into granting them verified cloud partner status. While everyone on Twitter wanted a blue checkmark, now you got to pay for it. Microsoft Azure's blue badges are even more valuable to threat actors that steal your data via malicious OAuth applications. Late last year, a group of threat actors managed to obtain a verified publisher status through the Microsoft Cloud Partner Program. This allowed them to surpass levels of brand impersonation ordinarily seen in phishing campaigns as they distributed malicious applications bolstered by a verified blue badge only given to trusted vendors and service providers in the Microsoft ecosystem. The MCPP is Microsoft's channel partner program inhibited by 400,000 plus companies that sell and support its enterprise products and services and also build their own solutions and softwares around them. Members include managed service providers, independent software vendors, and business app developers, among many others. Researchers from Proofpoint discovered the activity on December 6th of last year. Our report published yesterday outlines just how threat actors used their bogus status as a verified app publisher within the MCPP program. MCPP program. Too many P's there. I feel like uh, um, I feel like Ted Lasso there. So MCPP program to infiltrate UK and Ireland-based organizations' cloud environments. The fake solution partner targeted employees and finance and marketing, as well as managers and executives, via malicious applications. Users who fell for the badge potentially exposed themselves to account takeover, data exfiltration, and business email compromise, and their organizations were laid open to brand impersonations. Overall, the campaign used unprecedented sophistication to bypass Microsoft security mechanisms. This was an extremely well thought out operation and makes you wonder just how is Microsoft going to come back from this? So here's how they duped Microsoft. The criteria are largely technical in the documentation. Uh, passing the bar doesn't imply or indicate quality criteria you might look for in an app, according to Microsoft. But when you see a blue verified check mark, you typically go with quality and you realize that, you know, this is probably something trusted um, and it's not. So they're registered as publishers under displayed names that mimic legitimate companies. Meanwhile, their associated verified publisher names were hidden and slightly different. The example given by researchers is that publishers masquerading as Acme LLC might have verified a publisher name as Acme Holdings. So similar, but not the same. Evidently, this was enough to skate by the system's verification process. In fact, researchers noted that in two cases, the verification was granted one day after the creation of the malicious application. When reached for a common proof point, did not offer further details, but Microsoft's spokesperson merely noted, consent phishing is an ongoing industry-wide issue and we're continuously monitoring for new attack patterns. We've disabled these malicious apps and are taking additional steps to harden our service to help keep customers secure. So the whole story, very worthwhile of your time to read if you all have the time for it. But long story short, open authorization token is what they used. Log in with uh, uh, Google or Facebook. And essentially that you gave consent to the verified publisher to get access to a whole slew of data and access, which they did. And then they went on their final fishy way, fishing in your environment for all kinds of information and methods to enhance their attack. So there's that for all of y'all this lovely Tuesday, uh, Wednesday 
uh, morning. The Google Fi data breach reportedly led to SIM swapping attacks. Google Fi, uh, Google Fi Telecom uh, has informed customers that the data breach appears to be uh, related to the recently disclosed T-Mobile cyber attack. Google Fi, which provides wireless phone and internet services, has told customers the breach is related to its primary network provider. They didn't name that, but that would be T-Mobile um, because T-Mobile is Google Fi's primary network provider. Google Fi said there's been unauthorized access to a third-party customer support system containing a limited amount of customer data. This data includes phone numbers, account activation date, mobile service plans, SIM card serial numbers, and account status. The company says names, DOBs, email addresses, payment card details, social security numbers, financial account information, passwords, and PINs were not exposed. Attackers also did not gain access to the contents of calls or SMS messages. There was no access to Google systems or any systems overseen by Google's. Most of the impacted customers don't need to take any action except to be on the lookout for phishing attempts. However, one Google Fi user reported on Reddit that their notification also informed them that their mobile phone service had been transferred from their SIM card to another SIM card uh, for nearly two hours on January 1st. The notification from Google Fi, according to the impacted customer, read during this time of this temporary transfer, the unauthorized access could have involved the use of your phone number to send and receive phone calls and text messages. Despite the SIM transfer, your voicemail could not have been accessed. We have restored Google Fi service to your SIM card. Interesting uptick there. And the Abraham Accords that were signed last uh, several years ago, I could say last year, but this was, I believe, 2019, just ahead of the uh, 2020, just ahead of the elections between Bahrain, the UAE, and Israel um, uh, at the behest of the Trump administration have now expanded and have now in, come into the region to include cybersecurity. Homeland uh, Security Undersecretary for Strategy, Policy, and Plans, Rob Silvers, is in Israel this week for the Cybertech Conference, um, as well as for the talks. I actually watched a article, uh, a news story with the three heads of cybersecurity between Bahrain, Israel, and the UAE yesterday, last night. It was in in, in Hebrew, so I, I can't share that interview unless you speak Hebrew. Um, but the conversation was very, very, very interesting. There's a whole slew of cyber collaboration and agreements that have been signed uh, in order to help enhance and deal with the cyber challenges. Obviously, Iran is a dangerous and destabilizing actor in the region for these uh, allies. And so they've seen the attacks increase and now there's cooperation. Also, Morocco has joined uh, there as well. There's you know potential concerns over how these countries use spyware, um, allegedly, but Really, at the end of the day, um, this is part of a bigger kind of approach where the Abraham Accord Nations uh, spoke on stage yesterday at the conference and talked about the collaboration uh, from actionable threat intelligence to uh, information sharing to uh, deterrence and a whole lot more. Um, So there you have it. The Abraham Accords are now becoming fruitful in the area of cybersecurity, and we'll probably see a lot more of that. Uh, over the next few years that's it for our show this morning we'll be back tomorrow to wrap up the show thank you all for tuning in today please make sure to subscribe check out the CISO talk i did with my good buddy patrick benoit the global CISO over at brinks a great great episode till then have a great rest of your day and stay cyber safe we love feedback so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform